Just a couple things before we get started this morning. Along with Brad, I'd like to welcome all the fathers here. Uh, I know this is a special day to honor fathers, but we have fathers in our lives every day of the year. Sometimes we're good dads, sometimes we're not. Some of us have all lost our fathers. But no matter what, we have a heavenly father that will never leave us. And earthly fathers, we try our best to be like our Heavenly Father. The other thing I want to mention, and I'm letting you in on a little secret. First of all, I, I got to thank Brad for trusting the Spirit to guide me and to allow me to do this, right? Uh, Brad and I do not collaborate on my sermons. Uh, we both trust the Spirit enough to think that he's going to give me the word from God you need to hear. Apparently, there's a word from God you need to hear twice today. Because what Brad said about 20, uh, Psalm 24 is in the middle of my sermon as well. <laughs> Like-minded individuals. Um, getting started, first of all, how many people here, when Brad was reading Psalm 23, was doing it in their head in the King James? <laughs> right? Don't you just love that psalm? Oh, man, it's just beautiful. Even people who aren't Christian right? They can see the comfort, the peace, the promise that's in that psalm. Well, today we're talking about seeing the Savior in the psalms. And as a foundation, um, I want to turn, this is strange, we're talking about seeing the Savior in the psalms. Our scripture reading is going to be from Luke's gospel, chapter 24. So if you'll turn there with me, and I'm going to read two passages. One is when Jesus is with the disciples who are on the Emmaus Road. And the other is when, disciple, when Jesus meets his disciples in the upper room. So starting in verse 25, Luke 24, chapter 24, verse 25. <clears throat> Excuse me. These are Jesus' words. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then if you'll jump down to verse 44 with me, and we'll go through verse 47. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Today we're going to take a look at different ways of seeing the Savior in the Psalms. But one of the things I want to point out is that when Jesus was telling the disciples about himself and looking to the Holy Scriptures for evidence about himself, he turned to the Old Testament because that was the Scripture Jesus knew. 
when the apostles and, and the disciples were telling people about Jesus, they used the Old Testament because that was their holy scripture. When they were writing their letters and their epistles and their gospels, where did they turn to for the evidence of Jesus? They turned to the Old Testament. So what we're looking at today is something that was known to Jesus and the disciples, that you can find the Savior in the Old Testament, and specifically today, we're looking at the Psalms. So I have a question here. How many of us here remember Highlights Magazine? Yeah. One of the things I loved to do when I was a kid, as you see on the screen, was the hidden pictures. Man, that was a bla I, I had such a sense of accomplishment when I found those pictures. And then I got a little older and started going, you know, those pictures aren't that hard to find. <laughs> right? This is what I call a surface focus. And when we look at the Psalms, <clears throat> you can find Jesus in the Psalms with what I call a surface focus. It's things that are obvious, not, you know, intuitively obvious as the oxymoron goes, but obvious. Did you know that Psalms is the Old Testament book that has the most allusions and direct quotes in the New Testament? As a matter of fact, it is the most quoted Old Testament book with slightly over a hundred direct quotations in the New Testament. Now, what I'm going to talk about, when I talk about illusion, that's with an A, not an I. I'm not up here to teach you English. I just want you to understand, right? Nothing up my sleeves. But let's look at an example of what an illusion means. In Psalm 4.4, and I'm going to be going through quite a few scriptures today, so just as an aside, you don't need to turn in your Bibles, but if you take notes, you might want to write these down. Psalm 4.4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. And then we go to Ephesians 4.26. And what does Ephesians 4.26 tell us? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. There's a similarity there. But it's not a direct quotation from the psalm. And there's about 300 and some odd of those in the New Testament itself. So the major difference between an illusion, which is they sound similar, and a quote is, a quote is they quote directly from the Psalms. So let's take a look at two passages from the Psalms that are quoted in more than one place in the New Testament. Um, and most of the quotes we're talking about now, especially the ones that are used in the New Testament, deal with Jesus' role as Savior and Lord. They deal with his divinity, right? Psalm 2-7 says, I will tell of the degree, decree, excuse me. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's quoted twice in the book of Hebrews. In chapter, five, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? And also in chapter 5, verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So what we have in the Psalms is a foretelling of the birth of Christ as God's son. 
And the writer of Hebrews picked up on that. Here's one that were words that Jesus spoke directly from the cross. Psalm 21.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? That's quoted in two Gospels. In Matthew 27, 46, it says, In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema shabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark 15, 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema shabachthani, which means... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we're going to come back to Psalm, uh, those Psalms in a moment. But you can see that, again, the gospel writers found in the Psalms, Jesus, when he's dying on the cross, turns to the Psalms and prays them to God. I honestly believe that was a prayer, not a complaint. But the reason I call these a surface focus, how many people here have a, have a study Bible? How many people, maybe not a study Bible, but you got cross-references in the margin, all right? How much work does it take to find the little letter next to the verse and go, oh, that's this psalm. That's what I call a surface focus, right? It's not super easy, but it's not difficult. Next, we're going to look at a deeper focus. So moving on from the highlights puzzle, how many of you like the find the 10 differences puzzles, right? These take a little more work. They take a little more observation. They take a little more time. There are some of these things I still can't get finished. But you really got to be observant. And when I'm talking about a deeper focus, what I'm talking about is looking at Jesus in the Psalms from the perspective of his humanity. Now, I have to confess to you, right? I really don't have a problem thinking of Jesus as God. That's something we do daily. That's something we're taught young. That's something as Christians we know. Jesus was God, came down to earth, was born of the Virgin Mary. And it's not hard for us to think of him as God. The reason it's not hard for me is because it's outside of me. God's up there. Jesus is up there now. He was down here. Now he's up there with his father. But it's outside of me. I have difficulty with Jesus' humanity, mainly because I'm human. I know that comes as a shock, but I am human. And I know as a human what I'm like. And for me to think of Jesus as human and think he was like me, something just doesn't add up, right? Because Jesus was human, but Jesus was not a human like me. So it's very difficult for me to think about that. And on top of all that, let's face it, we're never going to understand his divinity or his humanity in this world. 
But let's take a look. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Many people know this psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. First four verses of Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Now let's stop and think about this. To whom do these psalms apply? To David? To you? To me? Well, the short answer is yes, they do. Right? But for David and for you and me, these are not things we have already attained. These are a goal. This is what God is working on with us when he's molding us into the likeness of Christ. He's bringing us closer and closer to living these truths. And we can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. But then again, if we read these Psalms with Jesus in mind, what do we know? We know that Jesus is the only person in history who never walked in the way of the wicked. We know that Jesus is the only person in history that has clean hands and a pure heart, right? We know that they apply to him in a way they do not apply to us. And there's many more examples of that in the Psalms. So when you look at the Psalms and you read those, it's right to go, God, I want that. That's the way I want to be. That's the way I want to live my life. Holy Spirit, please help me live this way. But you can also look at it and go, I know my Savior lived this. And that gives us hope. Another way of looking at Jesus' humanity, um, real quick silly question, how many people here have emotions? Right? How many people here give in to their emotions? Mm -hmm. Right. John Calvin said, I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. 
Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. There's not an emotion known to man that you can't find in the Psalms. And as we consider it, you know, we, we think about ourselves. We, we're sad sometimes, we're happy sometimes, we're joyful, we're despondent, we despair, we're angry. But then let's think about Jesus and his emotions, right? Scripture tells us that Jesus felt compassion. He was angry, he got indignant, he was consumed with zeal. He was troubled, greatly distressed, very sorrowful, depressed, deeply moved, and grieved. He sighed, he wept and sobbed, he groaned, he was in agony. He was surprised and amazed. He rejoiced very greatly and was full of joy. He greatly desired and he loved. And all of those emotions can be found in the Psalms. For example, Psalm 42.5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Psalm 69.9, this one is quoted in the New Testament. Zeal for your house has consumed me. Psalm 18.1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. But here's the difference. When Jesus is joyful, it's untainted with the thought of Things are going too good. When's the other shoe going to drop? Because when we're joyful, that thought is in the back of our heads immediately. Right? When he praises God, he praises God wholeheartedly. When we praise God, and we did a wonderful, oh man, praise this morning was just marvelous. It was something. You could feel the Spirit moving. But while we're praising, I've got thoughts in my head about how am I going to say this, and when should I say that, and what, if, and what if this happens, right? It's not wholehearted praise. Jesus is wholehearted praise. Sometimes we get sidetracked by, okay, I'm praising. I hope I'm hoping doing this the right way. Is this the right way to praise? Should I lift my hand or not? Should I open my hands? Should I sing at the top of my voice even though I can't carry a tune in a bucket? Right? That wasn't Jesus. When Jesus loved, we talk about Jesus' love being unconditional. We talk about God's love being unconditional. There is not a person in this church today, on the face of the earth today, that truly knows what unconditional love means. Because our love is conditional. I will love you if. I will love you if you love me back. I will love you if you behave. I will love you if you buy me that. It's always conditioned. God's love has no conditions. God's grace and mercy came down to us with no conditions. It does not depend on us. So our understanding of Scripture tells us that Jesus is both fully human and fully God. 
And what I mean by fully human is fully human. Jesus is not a fallen human. We are. Because we are tainted by sin. Jesus was not. He's the only person in history to be fully human because he was not tainted by sin. He's the only human in history to follow, worship, and obey God perfectly. He is the only human in history to never give in to the temptation of worshiping at the altar of that unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. Our advocate, who stands at the right hand of the Father now, interceding on our behalf, is fully God and fully human. <clears throat> and now, change in focus. Let's take a look at something a little different. What do you see? How many people remember when these were printed in the Sunday comics? How many people could do them? I love these things, right? Because in that mess of dots, if you focus or actually unfocus your eyes just so, you'll see something floating in that mess of dots, right? What's floating in this one says, I see it. I love these things. But then again, I'm kind of unfocused, right? But let's take a look at what this means to us. We're going to look at a passage from Martin Luther's introduction to the Psalms. And what we're going to be talking about is the changed focus is finding the gospel in the Psalms. Martin Luther says, but the Psalms are especially dear and valuable from their detailing to us so clearly and prophetically the death and resurrection of Christ. And so declaring his kingdom and the state and the spirit of Christianity that they may be fairly called a little Bible. In which everything that is in the whole Bible is contained in a beautiful and compendious manner. And they may be considered, therefore, a handbook to it. It would seem to me as if the Holy Ghost had inspired the composer with the idea of a small Bible or of an epitome of Christianity and godly men so that those who have not the means of reading the whole Bible may find the summary and sense condensed in a small volume. According to Luther, the Psalms can be considered a small Bible. How many people have ever seen the little New Testaments with the Psalms? Right? Kind of gives a whole new idea to that, doesn't it? That I have the Gospel in the New Testament and the Gospel in the Psalms. Now, we know that the Psalms are not history. They contain historical references. We know they're not prophecy, but they do contain prophetic words. They're not wisdom literature like Proverbs, but there is wisdom in them. Right? The Psalms are poetry. And poetry kind of grabs you a different way than anything else does. But this is what I want to show you. And this time I will ask you to turn to your Bible. So, Brad read Psalm 23 earlier, and most of us are sitting there, you know, hearing the King James. 
Psalm 23 is a wonderful psalm. It's a psalm of comfort. It's a psalm of peace. It's a psalm of knowing that our God loves us and that he wants us to dwell with him forever. I want you to look at Psalm 22. Now, it's kind of lengthy, but I'm going to read the entire psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, they have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or bored the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Here's the deal. Our Savior lived Psalm 
22. Because he is Psalm 23. The good shepherd came down from heaven, took on human flesh, lived among us, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and three days later he rose again. The gospel of God does not become explicit until we see it in the New Testament, but it can be found in the Old Testament, and it can be found in the Psalms. When you read the Psalms in the future, I hope you learn to read them not only as they apply to us or as historical poems written by David or Asaph or the sons of Korah, but you read them as God's truth about our Savior Jesus Christ. Paul says this to us in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Contained in that promise is the knowledge that at our resurrection, we too will know what it means to be fully human. There is consolation in knowing now that our Savior knows what it means to be us. If you've never accepted God's gift of eternal life and salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, today is the day. The Savior, although hidden in the New Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament, is waiting for you to become his co-heir, a child of God, to start on that road of becoming fully human rather than to spending eternity. Think about this. If you do not accept God's gift of salvation to become fully human as part of that gift, you will spend eternity as a fallen human. He is calling. If you hear his voice, don't delay. For today is the day of salvation. Join me in prayer. God, our gracious Heavenly Father, we stand before you, we sit before you. Lord, we're here on your day to worship you. Lord, we're here to, to sing to you, to lift our hearts to you, to hear your word, to hear your truth. And Father, we're here to say thank you. Thank you for the fact that we've accepted your gift. Father, help us to reach those that haven't. And if anyone hasn't, God, I pray today is the day that they come to you and start on the path of being a child of God. We thank you so much for this church. We thank you so much for the people that are here. We thank you for everybody that's involved in bringing your word to a fallen world. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.